Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, May 6, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday, especially if you're the Phillies or a Phillies fan. Taylor Schwink is producing from his home studio, his new home studio in the foothills of Connecticut. Sarah Abbott is in Connecticut as well. I'm Buster Only. I'm working from my home studio in New York. And guys, I just was thinking last night as that was playing out, oh my God. Paul Embikides is going to be a wonderful guest to have on today because he's a crazy Phillies fan, and you know he's really upset. Sarah, what do you think? All I could say was when I was watching it, just pour one out for Hembo. That was the only thing that crossed my mind. Yeah, Taylor? Uh, you know, I think about Paul Hembikides a lot, just on my everyday, but last night, you know, he <laughs> truly was front and center, and uh, I I wish I had sympathy for him, but I root for the Orioles, so whatever. Yeah. Well, and I let we don't really have any sympathy for him, which is why today Never. when he comes on as a guest, we're going to ambush him with one of the key moments in that game with some radio sound. And I'm curious to see how he reacts. All right. Here's what it sounded like last night. First, the Phillies building a lead. 1-0 pitch. Swing and a high drive. Deep right center field. And that one is long gone. Where will it land? Way deep into the bullpens. Bryce Harper with a towering home run. His fifth of the year. It's a solo shot. It's a six-nothing Phillies lead. Scott Fransky, Sports Radio, ninety-four WIP, and the Phillies weren't done. Here is Castellanos, and there's a deep drive to left field. Back is Canna, and that one is a home run for Nick Castellanos. Back to back for Harper and Castellanos. Yeah, so at that point, they were beating up on Taiwan Walker. I began to flip to other games because I figured, okay, that game's over. Well, you know what? It wasn't. The Mets rallied. In the ninth inning, Brandon Nimmo got a huge hit. Brandon gets the curve and lines into the center field. A base hit in his canna. Here's Jankowski. He scores, and the Mets have tied it. Brandon Nimmo with a two-run single. The Mets have scored six times in the top of the ninth to tie this game at 7-7. Seven and seven. What a rally. That was Gary Cohen on uh, SNY, and that rally continued. The pitch, swinging a high fly ball, left center field, pretty deep. It's got some legs back near the wall. It's in for a hit. Mets are going to take the lead. Nemo around third, coming home. He scores standing. Double for Marte. Eight to seven, New York. Holy shnikes. The Mets with a seven-run ninth inning at Citizens Bank Park. Holy smikies. Howie Rose with that call, and here was Howie Rose's call up for the last out of the game. Diaz sets. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike three. Got him with a slider. Put it in the box. The New York Mets with one of their most memorable comebacks in franchise history. All right. We got to hear what it sounded like on the Phillies radio network. No balls. Two strikes. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. The ball game's over. And the Mets jubilant as they celebrate a stunning come from behind win on the road tonight. And hand the Phillies an 8-7 to seven loss. Seven runs given up by the Phillies' bullpen in the top of the ninth inning. And the Phillies have lost four in a row. And none hurt more than this one. 
Yeah, that's right. Devastating for the Phillies. Here's what it sounded like after the game in the Mets clubhouse, Francisco Lindor. Uh, a great team win. Uh, extremely special. Um, the way everybody believed in each other, um, pushed each other, counted on each other. Special for sure. Um, you know, team um, wins like this, they got up throughout the course of the year, and they're, they're huge. They're huge for a ball club. Here's Brandon Nemo. I'm an optimist, but you know, I uh, I just keep I just keep going, you know, until they until they blow the whistle, so to say, you know. And so, um, you just you just never give up, and you just say, okay, when it comes to be my turn, I give it everything I got, you know. And it seems like every guy on this team has that mentality, and when you do that, it allows for things like this to happen, and that's the only way is. It's not necessarily that you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to win this game. It's more of, you know, I'm going to go do my job when I get up there. Like, I'm going to go give it everything I've got. Yeah, you could hear Brandon Nimmo smile, and I'm sure that you could hear Joe Girardi's frown in his postgame with reporters. That's about as hard as I've been through. Um, we played a really good eight innings, and it was just top of the ninth that, that beat us. Um Starts with an infield hit, and then they hit the baseball after that. So the Phillies now are seven and a half games behind the Mets in the National League East. We're going to ask Paul Hemikides if it's time to panic or if it's time for patient for the Phillies, for the Red Sox, for the White Sox. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live the way it did with the Padres last night Manny Machado had a great night 1-1 swung on driven to left field Soler going back he looks up this ball is gone second home run of the night for Manny Machado and he puts the Padres on top two to one in the fourth and they would win two to one Nick Martinez was terrific over seven innings the Astros edged the Tigers it was a big moment 3-2 Ground ball left side. That's against the defense and in the left center. Around third, McCormick, and he will score without a throw. Astros win it in the bottom of the ninth. Kyle Tucker comes through. Three to two, Astros. Yeah, and that was Robert Four on KBME with that call. Uh, the Twins manager, Rocco Baldelli, and two players, Luis Arise and Dylan Bundy, tested positive for COVID 19. So those guys were not part of the Twins when they took on the Orioles last night. First, there was an awful moment in the middle of that game. Ooh, that got his finger. The ball is in play. And now let's check on Correa's fingers. Correa claiming the ball hit his fingers. You know, right off the knuckles. Hit his hand and then hit the bat, and that propelled the ball forward. Been a painful night. Never a good time to lose your starting shortstop. Yeah, he was diagnosed with a possible non-displaced fracture of his middle finger on his right hand, his throwing hand. That was Dick Bremer on the Twins television network. The Orioles broke a tie in the bottom of the eighth. 1-1 is driven out to left field. It's deep. Larnick going back, and this ball's into the front row. It's gone. Austin Hayes, he cleared the high wall. He cleared the expanded wall. He takes a look back into the dugout after it left the ballpark, saying, hey, guys, I did it. And he puts the Orioles on top in the process. Four three O's in the bottom of the eighth. That from WBAL, by the end of the night, the Orioles, after their 5-3 win, would be tied with the Red Sox because of what happened at Fenway Park yesterday. Jared Walsh got a huge hit for the Angels. 
Here's the next delivery, and Walsh with the ball lifted in the air down the right side. That is tight to the pesky pole, and that one is out of here. Walsh has done it again. Two-run homer. Angels have a 2-0 lead in the seventh. Jerry Smith, Angels Radio, AM 830. And that was plenty for Shohei Otani. So three and two, the count. This will be pitch number 99. It's on its way, and he did. He got him with a fastball, 98. Otani fired up after striking out Story and wrapping up the inning. That could be his last pitch of the day. If it was, what a job turned in by Otani. We're headed to the eighth inning. After the 8-0 loss to the Angels, the Red Sox, 10-16. Guardians and Blue Jays, and Stephen Kwan had a nice moment. Now the payoff pitch to Kwan. Swung on, hit high, hit deep to right. This ball is gone. Stephen Kwan's first walk-off game winner last night. His first Major League home run tonight. And we are tied at two. Tom Hamilton, WTAM, 1100. Guardians edge the Blue Jays 6-5. to five. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we are back in Bristol part-time, which is fun. I get to see my fellow producers. So I saw my fellow producers hard at work on the low post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Ryan Windhorst. Multiple episodes every week, some of them on YouTube, all of them on your favorite podcast app. Check those out. The low post with Zach Lowe and the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection 
prior to starting preventive. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Mbikiti. He's a researcher at ESPN who has graduated in the role of head honcho on the show Get Up. He also, as has been established, is a huge Phillies fan to the degree, Hembo, that your dog is named Chase. And we know who that's for. That's right. My favorite Philly of all time is Chase Utley. I always told my wife, if and when we have a son, I want to name him Chase. She said, absolutely not. So we got a dog. I said, can we name him Chase? She said, yes. That is the only exception she was willing to make. I don't make decisions that important in my family. But yes, Chase. Chase is on the case. And with the impending birth you're waiting for of twin girls, correct? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. In September. Twin girls coming in September. Identical twin girls coming in September. Well, congratulations <laughs> on that. And congratulations on this. This happened last night. Mm. Nets and Phillies. Give a listen. Canabel delivers and Marte swings, hits one high in the air, left center field in the gap. Long run, Odubel towards the wall. He won't get it. It falls on the warning track. Nemo's coming around third. He will score. Incredibly. It is now eight to seven Mets on Marte's double to the base of the left center field wall. They've scored seven times in the ninth inning. Scott Fransky was speechless, Hembo. I think you agree with me there for a second on Sports Radio 94 WIP because of what happened to the Phillies last night. Yeah, it's a good thing that this is not one of those Baseball Tonight podcasts that we're broadcasting on YouTube so our viewers and listeners didn't have to see two specific fingers that I'm holding up to you at the moment. So I, I appreciate <laughs> the kind words about the girls that I'm having in September. But um, what happened last night, in Philadelphia was unimaginable. It is the most painful thing in the world to, to lose a game like that. But honestly, it's not really all that surprising. That's sort, I wouldn't say that's par for the course, but we've watched the Phillies bullpen implode over the previous two seasons. We've seen Joe Girardi mismanage that bullpen over the previous uh, two seasons. And we've also seen Buck Showalter come in and, and instill a culture very quickly in the Mets clubhouse where that's at least possible. You know, a year or two ago, that was not possible. But not only did the Mets score all those runs in the ninth inning, but the Mets pitching held the Phillies scoreless for the last five innings of that game to make that possible. So I guess it just goes to show you how far the Mets have come in such a short period of time <laughs> and how the Phillies are the same old, same old. Okay, we're going to dig into the Phillies a little bit more, but I want to hear literally what your reaction was as that was playing out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would describe it as watching a – a train crash happen in slow motion because there became this sense of paint the picture for us. Were you in your living room? Were you, uh, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my watching bed- the game? Yeah, I, I'm in my I'm in my bedroom. I'm watching the game on mute because my wife is sleeping. Uh, and obviously, I wake up very early, so that, uh, <laughs> that contributes to how cranky I am this morning. But once it, I forget at which point in the evening it became obvious to me that the Phillies were going to lose the game. But I actually considered turning it off because I didn't want to see it happen. So that's where I am as a Philadelphia fan at the moment. Like the the Sixers are crumbling before our very eyes. And as soon as that lead started to be chipped away at, it just became obvious, Lester. I'm at the point in my fandom now where it was like this ominous thing when we're leading seven to three. It's just, well, it's. The worst po- <laughs> it's the worst possible thing imaginable. But the thing that made it even worse for us was that I knew it was going to happen way before it did. That was the feeling yeah, that I had. It was actually 7-1. That's when I turned off the game and I started watching other games. And then my son, uh, <laughs> a Braves fan, texted me last night late and he goes, dude. And that's all he said. 
And I'm oh, like, man. I have no idea what that means. He goes, did you see what happened with the Phillies? So I uh, wish I had he, done the same. I wish I well, had missed it. I wish I had And this lead right perfectly into a game that you suggested before that blown lead last night, uh, a game of panic or patience in regards to three teams. And we'll start with the Phillies. Is it time for panic or is it time for patience? Oh, it is time to panic. Taylor, hit me. It is freaking panic time already. One month in, I'm already there, okay? This team has won only two series so far this season against Oakland and against Colorado. This lineup was built upon the idea that it would be dominant, but they've scored one or fewer runs seven times already this season, so they're not living up to that identity. They built a a team around a bunch of sluggers in a year in which the ball isn't flying, which is brilliant, of course. And then Bryce Harper is going to require Tommy John surgery, so he's likely to be a shell of himself for the rest of the season. I am panicking already about the Phillies, who I think are playing in a division that's also going to sort of come around. I I have been out on this team, and I remain out on this team. The White Sox were the clear favorites to win the American League Central. They're 11-13 and 13 so far, three games behind the Minnesota Twins. Is it time to panic or time for patience? Patience, Buster. Patience, my dear boy. Taylor, hit me. R-E-L-A-X. <laughs> That's exactly right, Aaron. So this is why I'm, I'm being patient when it comes to the White Sox, Buster. They've been outscored 26-13 to 13 after the seventh inning this season. That's not something that will continue. The back end of their bullpen is too good and their lineup is too good. Well, I think I really like about their team is the way that the pitchers miss bats and the way that their hitters don't. So right now, their strikeout differential is plus 70. It's the best margin of its kind in all of baseball. There's no way Luis Robert is going to on-base 288 this season, and Yuan Moncada will come back soon and impact that lineup in a big way. I still consider them the favorite to win the American League Central. And the Boston Red Sox are 10 and panic, so far panic, this year. Panic, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I ruined the segment. I ruined my own segment. All right, set me up again. Set me up again. No, they're 10 and 16. They're tied with the Baltimore Orioles in last place in the American League East, down eight and a half games. Panic or patience? That team stinks on ice. And what's weird about them is that they're not embodying anything that Alex Cora stands for as a manager, especially in the lineup. They hold the highest chase rate of any team in baseball, and they average the fewest pitches per plate appearance of any lineup in baseball. In other words, that's the most undisciplined lineup in the sport. It's remarkable when you consider the talent up and down it. (laughs) I guess not so much down it because the bottom third of their order right now, Buster, is batting 181 for the season with 13 extra base hits in 26 games. Putrid production. Not to mention the fact that it looks like Trevor Story was a massive mistake. That that guy is is not adding value because he's not playing shortstop but it's become pretty clear and obvious that his power was in, uh, in large part a product of course field. If I'm a fan of the, of the Red Sox waking up this morning, I am already panicking about this team. And it's not, ob- I mean, they're not going to finish, you know, behind the Orioles, but I thought this was a playoff team coming into the season. A month we have a month of data now that say that this lineup is nearly as good as I thought. And that Trevor story contract looks like an albatross already. What say you? Yeah. Well, I actually have a major makeover suggestion for the Red Sox that I'm going to make to Tim Kirchin uh, in okay. that segment coming up here because I agree with you. It is time to panic for the Red Sox, and I think they may need to make a major adjustment. Uh, I want to ask you about the Blue Jays lineup. You sent me a really neat note the other day about the Toronto lineup that was so good at the end of last season and coming into this year, there were such high expectations for. Yeah, so we obviously know that they're extremely right-handed, right-handed heavy in the lineup. 
it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, their balance isn't, doesn't equal value judgment here. I mean, there are good lineups that are imbalanced and there are bad lineups that are balanced, but bluster in only 32% of Toronto's plate appearances this season, less than one in three, their hitters have had a platoon advantage, less than one in three. We have data going back to 1974. There has never been a team for which that number has been lower in a single season than Toronto's right now. It would not surprise me at all if Ross Atkins prioritizes a left-handed bat at the trade deadline. I never would have imagined I'd say that because this was a lineup that I thought had a chance to score more than 900 runs this year. But it's become pretty clear that even though they're going to be a good lineup and, 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 a, and a, I think a unit that scores more runs than most teams in the American League, that number is astonishing. Anytime, it's, anytime you're at the very top or bottom of a list like that, going back nearly 50 years, it should make you raise your eyebrows. So definitely something that struck out to me and it seems to did the same to you. I know you're locked into Twitter. Uh, and the other day I tweeted mm-hmm. out, it's total speculation, but to me, a great potential fit for the Blue Jays would be a deal with the Washington Nationals, who clearly in a rebuild mode at this point. Josh Bell, switch hitter, big-time power hitter. You put him behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, behind Teoscar Hernandez, that would be beastly. What do you think? I like the Josh Bell fit a lot. You, I mean, look, you can never have too many good hitters in a lineup, and we know that one's really good. His ability to switch hit, obviously, can add to this. Could, could really help them uh, from that statistical standpoint, given the fact that they'll have some more matchup advantages. Look, it's hard to say, like, whether or not we should be we should care that much about the balance thing. But I just yeah, have to imagine, should. Buster, a- anecdotally, like, if you're an opposing pitcher, it just requires like, just seeing different looks is just a thing that I'm sure pitchers, like, you know, off the record, might say, yeah, that's a thing. It matters at least to some degree. So I'm with you. I think that Josh Bell fits a great one for that very reason. Not to mention the fact that he will produce. Oh, 100%. And we've had that conversation in recent years about the Yankees, how right-handed they were. And I remember talking with the Yankees official, and he was citing statistics about how right-handed hitters have an advantage in Yankee Stadium, and that's better. And my response was, that's all all great, dude. But I'm telling you, I've talked to managers on other teams. They are thrilled with the fact that your lineup is so right-handed. Like, they love it. And pitchers absolutely love it. David Cohn and I just had that discussion the other day. Before you go, how bad are the Cincinnati Reds? <laughs> uh, uh, it's hard. I, I don't have a great vocabulary, so I might not quite get all the way there. But when you play 25 and you've lost 22, uh, the answer is really, really bad. Here's how I'll put it in the context. Right now, Buster, the league owns an OPS of 864 against Reds pitching. 864. Wow. Collectively, the Reds lineup owns an OPS of 585. What that means is that the average hitter against the Reds hits like Freddie Freeman, <laughs> and the average hitter on the Reds hits like Tony Kemp. So when there's a gap that large between you and your opponent, well, maybe they should feel good about the three wins that they do have. All right, you might be suspended from Twitter, because I don't mind if you make rhetorical points. Just do, don't do it at the expense of a Vanderbilt alum, okay? Uh, not on my podcast. Oh my Tony Kemp went to Vanderbilt. Don't do that again. You promise? There are rules on the podcast. I forgot. But you're also the guy that just ambushed me with the Phillies blow the seventh, seven run leading in the ninth inning sound, uh, sot. Uh, so I suppose I had to get you back in some sense. All right. Thanks, Hembo. Great to talk with you. Later, man. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. 
As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkson covers baseball for ESPN. He's covered baseball for a long time, which means, uh, Tim, you've seen a lot of comebacks, but when you see a comeback like the Mets had last night, it still feels... Shocking. Yes. Uh, e- yes. We had had uh, 857 straight games where a team had that kind of lead entering the ninth inning without any team winning until last night. The Mets won that game in that way for the first time since 1997 when Carl Everett got a really big hit. And the Phillies lost a game quite like that for the first time since 1994. So I got three texts last night, Buster, from friends of mine who are Mets fans and Phillies fans. And they said, is this a circle game? Which was just one of my expressions on the beat like we did on the beat. When when you win or lose a game where you just say, all right, this is going to lead to something really good or really bad, that was a circle game. Well, that was the ultimate circle game for the Mets last night and for the Phillies because it works both ways. So I had three texts from Mets and Phillies fans last night late to say, never seen anything quite like that. That's how remarkable that was. Yep. Uh, and I watched a lot of the post-game interviews. Brandon Nimmo's face as he was talking with joy about this. Uh, you know, I saw Mike Puma, the New York Post, tweet out that Francisco Lindor in the aftermath of that game last night uh, told Jeff McNeil that he'll get him a car if he wins the batting title. Uh, you know, smiles all over the place. I, 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 you know, this is the sort of momentum you better break in a hurry, right? You, you need to stop this in a hurry because I've always felt like that you can't win a division early in the season, but you can lose a division early in the season. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, And with the Phillies, I mean, their bullpen has been such an issue in recent years. And to lose a game like that and have Joe Girardi just rubbing his hand through his hair saying, you know, how we got to come back from this. Those are not easy things to come back from. You know, Buster, sorry, my dad had a tremendous feel for baseball. He was a great player in his own right. And he used to tell me when things start happening, weird things start happening during the course of a year, it's time to really start to pay attention that something might be going on there. And I think enough weird things have already happened to the Mets that you start to wonder, is something special going on here? Last night, perfect example. 
So uh, and New York Talk Radio, Buck Showalter is now, uh, he, he is now being cast as if he walks on water. And Taylor will back me up on this. He had a funny thing before we had Aaron Boone on the podcast the other day. He came on and uh, I told him before we started our interview, hey, I want to tell you this story about New York Talk Radio. I heard two callers call in and say they feel like Booney's game has been pushed upward, that he's a better manager in 2022 than before because of Buck Showalter. Because Buck Showalter's managing the Mets to such a high level that Booney now has to be better. And Taylor, <laughs> would you agree with me that it was an absolute guttural laugh from Booney? Yes, and uh, the, the way he phrased it, he had his own words to describe it, which I thought was very funny. So he is very aware of how uh, this is all being portrayed. Yeah, and he has the ultimate respect for Buck, by the way, who I, uh, you know, he's doing a terrific job. Whether you want to give him some credit, which is where I am, because I think the, you know, the most important credit uh, in that organization is, you know, getting Max Scherzer and Eduardo Escobar. Uh, but I think you give a Buck Showalter a ton of credit because of the change in the culture and because he's in charge, right? There's no doubt about the pecking order. Yeah, and that's <laughs> – I talked to a bunch of Mets this spring about Buck, and I got a lot of head shakes. Like, we, we've never met anybody quite like him. Uh, Jeff McNeil said, he's very curious, which has always been my term for Buck. He's always asking questions. What about this? What about that? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? They have recognized right away how good Buck is, and yet – I have the same guttural laugh that and now Aaron Boone is saying, boy, I have to be even better as a manager because <laughs> Buck's really good. You've got to be kidding me. Come on. He's not managing any better or any worse. His players are playing better. Yep. He's not a better manager. He just was – he's the same as he's always been, which is good. Oh, gosh. What we do in talk radio is hilarious. Yep. A hundred percent. It is a, is a lot of fun. And again, I want to reinforce Booney was not at all down right. what Buck has accomplished. He just the sort of the absurdity of what idiots uh, like me and you do right for right. a living. Uh, Carlos Correa last night, the, the twins announced that it's a possible fracture of his middle finger. Tim, when a team announces that I assume it's a broken middle finger, how big of a deal is this? Well, it's a huge deal whether it's broken or not. You mess with an infielder's hands, a middle infielder's hands, and you're asking for trouble. So, yes, my guess is there's a fracture there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought it up. But I'm always amused, Buster, when they say, great, it's it's not a fracture. He's okay. He He's not going to be okay. It's no. going to be sore. It's going to hurt. It's going to affect him. Adam Jones told me years ago that he – he fractured his wrist or something like that. And he said it hurt for a year and a half. Every time he swung the bat, it hurt. And it's going to hurt when it's a finger and you're playing a skill sport and you're playing a middle infield in a skill sport. Uh, this is bad news for the Twins because he's such a good player. Until at least recently, they played so exceptionally well and they just can't afford to lose him for any extended period of time. All right, I want to ask you about something that happened right after we got done taping the podcast on Wednesday. Uh, I was watching this game live when this happened. Madison Bumgarner pitching for the Diamondbacks against the Marlins, gives up a home run. Uh, he was upset with a, a call, ball strike calls by the home plate umpire, and he was coming off the field, and Dan Bellino, the first base umpire, checked his hand for foreign substance. This is what happened. Here you see Bellino not even looking down at his hands. 
You know, most umpires come out, they check your hands. You see him right there, he's just waiting. He keeps waiting, looking for Bumgarner to look up. And then when they make that eye contact. And, Bu and Bumgarner is not making eye contact. Nope. He's still. And, that, it, and when Bumgarner says, you're still on my hand and you're staring at me, so now i got to say something. Yeah, that was Luis Gonzalez, part of the Diamondbacks television network. Bumgarner was having his hand checked by Bellino, who kept on rubbing his pitching hand and looking him right in the eye. He wasn't even looking at his hand. Bumgarner initially was not looking at Bellino, and then he looked up like, uh, why are you taking so long? You, you know, what's the problem? Then he dropped an F-bomb. Then Bellino immediately ejected him when that happened. Bumgarner went crazy. The Diamondbacks dugout went crazy. Here was Bumgarner after the game. Have you ever had a hand check quite like that? No. I haven't seen one like that. What do you think that he was doing there? you seen the video. you seen the video. I've seen the video. I was there. It's, uh, yeah, you guys see it plain as day. Tim, I have not seen something involving an umpire. They got so much reaction from former players like Dan Heron on social media who are tweeting out how they felt like Dan Bellino absolutely baited him into that ejection uh, and that reaction by the way that he just kept on lingering and checking his hand and by the way he stared him down. What'd you think? Well, you know, Buster, I'm a big umpire guy. I think they're way better than people think. And I kind of like it on a tiny level that he was standing up for the home plate umpire, a young guy, and saying you, he's trying to say you can't show up my home plate umpire when he's a young guy. However, was totally baiting uh, Madison Bumgarner there. Dan Bellino cannot do that. That is totally unacceptable to do something like that, not just to any pitcher, but a veteran pitcher like Madison Bumgarner. That was really disappointing. Again, I'm a big umpires guy. They don't get enough credit, but sometimes they don't get enough blame for not explaining what's going on in a situation. And somebody needs to explain what Dan Bellino was doing there because you cannot bait a player in and throw him out of a game in the first inning of a game when so many teams Teams, their pitching staffs are already in shambles. You can't do that to a veteran pitcher while you you bait him into doing that. I've gotten to know Dan Bellino through the years. I think he's an excellent umpire. He's a great guy. He's a great baseball guy. Uh, and he made a terrible mistake with how he handled that. I, I thought it was completely wrong. It wouldn't surprise me if at some point uh, we get the rare case of public disciplining of an umpire. One of the few cases that I could remember, Tim, the other day when I saw this was and you'll remember this when Mike Winter uh, was umpiring at first base and there was an issue with Milton Bradley and he spun him around and Milton Bradley got hurt because in part Mike Winter put his hands on him. I, I, that's what this kind of reminded me of. Like, no, you crossed over a line in the way you handled this. And look, Madison Bumgarner can be a grumpy guy. We know that. He probably was upset about giving up the leadoff home run as well as the calls. And so he comes off. But when he walks up to Bellino, Tim, he wasn't looking for any confrontation with Dan Bellino, who he knows well, obviously, through the years. He wasn't trying to – he wasn't yelling at the first base umpire as that started. He actually was looking down. and It felt like he was turning the page already. Right. Look, no one should be looking for a fight. Players, managers, once in a while, look for a fight with an umpire, and I hate it when they do that. But it's way worse when the umpire looks for a fight from the player. That simply can't happen. That's not the job of an umpire. Dan Bellino, I agree, is a really good umpire, and that was not a good, good night for him.
Before you go, I'll ask you the same question I asked Embo. How bad is this getting with the Cincinnati Reds? Yeah, Buster, this is sad. I get no pleasure out of watching this. I mean, their run differential is the second highest already after since 1900 after 25 games. Their starters ERA is the highest of any team after 25 games since earned runs were made official in 1913. I mean, Buster, we're getting into 1988 Orioles territory here. I mean, I covered that team, as you know. They lost their first 21 games. They were they came home from Chicago 1-23. and 23. That's essentially the same um, track that the, the, the Reds are going through right now, and this is so unhealthy for that team, that city, those players. It's really sad, and Again, look at Hunter Green's line last night, Buster. He he got eight outs last night, seven of them on strikeouts, and gave up five home runs. So he's the only pitcher ever to have five strikeouts, ha- give up five home runs in a start of under three innings, ever. That pitching line last night, we've never seen that before. It kind of personifies where our game is today. When you make your pitches with tremendous stuff, you strike people out. When you miss location, you give up a home run. And that's what's happened an awful lot to the Reds lately. And I hope this turns around because, to repeat, this is not healthy for the game when any team is this bad. No, in recent years, uh, you know, when the Orioles have really struggled, I felt terrible for Brandon Hyde, you know, great baseball guy. I felt terrible for Trey Mancini and you feel terrible for David Bell, you know, who is in a position now where, you know, he's managing a team that's struggling that badly. And you and I know I covered, uh, we both covered terrible teams. You mentioned the 88 Orioles. I covered the, the 1993 Padres that lost 101 games, traded away Gary Sheffield and Fred McGriff and all these stars and there begins to develop a rot within a within a team like that where there's just no stabilizers, right? And they've had so many guys, you know, go on the injured list early in the year. Joey Votto, Tyler Naquin the other day goes down. And you're just concerned that they're just going to continue to spiral downward. Yeah, it's really it's really a shame. And as you know, Buster, we, we you and I had them on opening night in Atlanta. They won that game, but you looked at their rotation after T- Tyler Malley, and they just didn't have they don't have any veteran presence because of injuries and with Tixio and Minor and everything else. I mean, it was a recipe for disaster to start a season with essentially four rookies in the starting rotation after Tyler Malley. And, and now that they don't hit because Jonathan Indy has been hurt and other things, Joey Votto hadn't gotten going. And you know, the Reds have been around since 1882. They deserve better than this. And the organization made a determination. We're going to cut payroll. And this is what happens when you cut it this much and all other things go wrong. Yeah. And the development of a talent like a Hunter Green could be affected. Um, so you, you, you hope they find their way. All right, Tim. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Buster. Talk to you soon. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN. Jess, where are you today? I'm in Norman, Oklahoma, home of the number one college softball team right now, the Oklahoma Sooners. We have actually our Thursday night throwdowns, which we did last night. We'll have the game tonight, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Um, they're playing Oklahoma State, so it's Bedlam 
it's huge. And um, our college softball coverage, as you know, Buster, has just grown so much. Um, so now we've had these opportunities every Thursday to feature two of the top teams in the country. So these are two of the top 10 teams. Um, but I'm telling you right now, we have, I know you asked me just where I was, but we have Jocelyn Allo who is now the home run queen. She has hit 111 career home runs. That not only broke the college softball all-time record, it broke college baseballs, which was at 100. So no one, softball and baseball, has hit more home runs than Justin Alla, the Hawaiian native. She is so much fun to watch. So big time promotion, I get it, but this sport is so much fun, and that's why I'm here in Norman, Oklahoma. Before I ask you about Shohei Otani, tell me what distinguishes her as a hitter. What jumps out at her to you as a hitter? The fact that, okay, she's hitting 440 batting average and has hit 111 home runs. This is something, honestly, you're not going to see in baseball and that she she makes contact all the time. She will not swing and miss. Um, she's actually really far off the plate and has this open stance because the only place to get her is in, but she'll keep that front foot open if she's guessing inside. And so her ability to kind of understand where a pitcher is going to throw her to kind of move in the batter's box in a way that's super unique. Um, And she's ridiculously strong, but she had, in fact, it was uh, no hitter going into third. They were getting no hit. And then she got a base hit up the middle to kind of break it. I mean, she just gets hits along with the home runs because she kind of gives what the pitcher is giving her. Um, which is a really unique ability to have that kind of power to hit it as far as she can, but also be able to kind of shorten up, poke it through, do whatever she needs to help her team. All right. What's it, what's you like in conversation? Jocelyn Allo is literally like the happiest person. This is someone though, Buster, and we've talked a lot about mental health over the la- this last week. We've lost one of our own, Lauren Burnett, who committed suicide at a JMU. They canceled their season. This has been a huge topic. In fact, both teams um, did a circle holding each other. I've never seen this before prior to the game to take a moment to recognize that a sports psychologist down on the field talking to the players. Um, it's been going on actually the last couple of weeks with really recognizing mental health. Jocelyn Allo was someone that really struggled with that um, coming over to Oklahoma, the pressures, the perfection, something we've heard a ton, especially coming from female athletes this year. Um, she was benched and pretty much kicked off the team for two weeks her freshman year because she was having a hard time being able to handle a lot that she was going through. So to know her full, complete story buster, um, she is someone that just exudes gratitude. She realizes the opportunity that Oklahoma gave her, um, something that mentally she's overcome um, and not trying to always pursue perfection, which honestly a lot of us do. Um, and seeing the struggle, she is that story. In fact, E60 is here right now. They're going to do an entire piece, the first softball piece that E60 has ever done. And it's on Jocelyn Allo, a chance to get to know her and honestly her background growing up on a farm in Hawaii. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool one. That is pretty cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I watched a lot of Otani start against the Red Sox yesterday. And I must say, Jess, you know, last year, watching the greatest season we've ever had any individual baseball player have uh, as a two-way player, um, you know, my thought was, okay, that uh, that's an outlier. We'll never see anything like that again because, of course, between not being able to match it, uh, you know, the performance and they're trying to replicate the performance, the question of whether or not he's going to stay healthy. And then I watched that yesterday, Jess, I'm like, oh, my God, he's getting better as a pitcher. 
Like, you know, his strike his strike rate in that game was absurd. It was over 80%. And I don't know what his final numbers were, but he's thrown over 80% strikes against the Red Sox in Fenway Park. It was crazy how good he was. I think there's also this understanding of him where he's at. And I know Boston isn't, hasn't been, you know, they've been a struggling team this year. Um, but he knows, you know, he's pitching in Boston, this historic place. You know, we saw it when he faced the Yankees, went to Yankee Stadium last season. I mean, it's like he, and this is why we have to see him in October, because I swear he understands just the context and what this means. And it's not that the Angels playing the Red Sox is some giant game in the season, but him being in a historic place of Fenway, the greatness that has been there. I mean, the history, the, you know, everything that goes along with that, he knows and the way that he elevated his game, I mean, hitting 100, and a lot of times you don't see the emotion buster. In the fifth inning, after he struck out Rafael Devers, I mean, he was pumping his fist and yelling like so loud. And I love seeing that from him because this clearly he came in with a plan. He came in with a goal. And I, I think he even exceeded it, hitting 100 miles an hour, the breaking ball, everything that he did. But you're right. The fastball command was unbelievable. His ability to throw strikes in, in the locations he was throwing. And regardless of what you want to say about the Boston Red Sox right now, they have some pretty dang good hitters in that lineup. So the way that he made them look just showed how great he was. I meant to do this with Tim uh, about the Red Sox, but, uh, you know, I, I totally forgot I want to do it with you now, and that is to present uh, a possible solution, uh, a major adjustment that I feel like the Red Sox organization needs to make after this slow start. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read June Lee's great story the other day about the dynamic within that team after Trevor Story was signed and Xander Bogart's you know, got an offer of just one year and an extension, total package of $90 million, $50 million less than what the Red Sox just paid Trevor Story. Um, I, you know Xander. I know Xander. Xander's a great guy. Xander's always going to play hard. He's always going to, you know, try to win games. But that whole situation feels cancerous to me, uh, that you've got the guy who's the best player on the team, who's been around the longest. He's won rings with that team. And to be treated in that way in negotiations right after they sign story, I don't think that's a good thing. And I think it, it, it's just something that's going to fester. And I really think it would be smart for uh, John Henry, Tom Werner, uh, Sam Kennedy to revisit that whole negotiation with Xander and get him signed. I think that would help the dynamic for the Red Sox as they move forward, Jess, immensely. And we've seen Xander in the past – you know, that deal that he signed a, a few years ago, um, he's willing to, I think, bend a little to stay in Boston, but they got to show him some love. And I think that that's going to be important within that clubhouse and for the 2022 Red Sox. You buying that or you think I'm overstating it? No, I'm totally buying it because that's exactly what I saw a few years ago when they did extend him. I mean, he... He is that piece within this entire Red Sox organization that just everyone kind of revolves, not necessarily around, but they kind of go to that. It's that strong point that's in the core of what this team is. And because he doesn't ask for a lot and he is re insanely humble, you know, and at times I don't want to say 
like insecure, but definitely like always searching for like that better. How can I be better? How can I be better? And with those kind of players, you need to feed them the like, we want you, we need you. And I get if they weren't going to give him the extension, but then bringing in Trevor Story, another shortstop, that is exactly the kind of thing for a player like Xander, who's not going to sit there and go like, it's fine. It's cool. Like I'm good enough. Like he needs to be told. He needs to believe that this is the place that wants him. And once you bring in Trevor, then the extension had to happen. I don't think it had to happen if you don't bring him in. I think there's still this understanding. Look, let's see how this goes. But once Trevor was brought in, of course, the rumors, you're going to hear family members. Everyone's talking. What does this mean? Do they want you? Are they willing to just let you go? Especially in a time where we've seen so many superstars leave their teams, not stay with them. And and knowing that it doesn't mean that this Boston Red Sox team is going to forever have Xander Bogarts. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen also superstar players get paid, right? Uh, and so the idea of offering Xander Bogarts, who's such a terrific hitter, uh, in $90 million when, you know, Javi Baez got 140 and Trevor Story got 140 and, you know, Corey Seager got 325. It's an insult. Like, it's a horrific offer. Uh, and, you know, you know Xander. Xander comes in every day. He's got the biggest smile on his face. He's a happy guy. He wants to play, uh, but I think what happens is in that clubhouse, when they see an organization treat a player like Xander in that way, that that's something that I think they need to revisit. I, I no, really do. And he's I know- a happy guy. He is, but he is definitely someone that needs that, like, Xander, we believe in you. And, I mean, yes. we saw that with Eric Hosmer and Bob Melvin, right? Like, how right. much that helped Eric when Bob was like, look, I don't care. I know the trade rumors. I know all, I want you in this organization. And I know that's a verbal, like, but that, that kind of stuff. And in this case, because you brought in another shortstop, like, you know, Xander, Xander is the player that is happy as he is. And he just exudes joy and all the things like he needs to believe that the organization that he is playing for absolutely wants him. And right now there's no way else to do that than to give him the money that we've seen other superstars get. Yeah, and not only does Xander need to feel that, I think the fans need to feel it, Jess. Like, they're not going to sit back. There's already a conversation with the Red Sox playing so poorly. You know, at the trade deadline, do you consider offers for Xander before he becomes a free agent? Do you trade Rich Hill? Do you you flip all these assets? You know what? That might play in Tampa Bay where Bloom used to work. It ain't going to play in Boston. (laughs) Like, in a big market – They're not going to go in for a rebuild, especially I think the context is after the Red Sox didn't sign Mookie Betts. Like if they wind up trading away Xander Bogarts, that has a chance to really hurt the Red Sox bottom line. And it's part of the reason why I think they need to pay Xander. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And you said this earlier, it's not like you need to go, okay, this is going to be the biggest contract we've ever signed. Like Xander is a team player. Like he just needs to know, like, give me at least within this market value. And I mean, come on, like, that's like, that's like a layup to me. This is like putting it on a platter, a great team organizational player, someone that shows up every day with a smile on his face and works his tail off. And yet he's willing to bend and willing to do what is best for the team and best for the future, because it isn't, doesn't need to be a Mookie Betts type deal. Like, I understand letting that one go because of how enormous the amount of money and what was going to be needed to keep him there. I know Boston fans don't want to hear that, but for Xander, it's a different story. And it doesn't have to be a long period of time. He just wants to know, hey, 
you're willing to pay me what you believe that I'm worth. And I'm also willing to bend a little bit to do what's best for the team. Right. And I think that starts, needs to start with John Henry, Sam Kennedy, uh, you know, uh, walking up to Xander in the clubhouse and saying, Hey, can we talk and, and saying in a meeting, we blew it. Can we please restart and put a number in front of you that is more representative of your needs? All right, Jess, great to talk with you. Uh, have fun this weekend. Yes, absolutely. Don't forget seven o'clock tonight, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. Thanks Buster. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets on a glorious Friday. Pat Johnson at the melting pad is first. Pat writes in, I know it's May, but how concerned should I be about the Phillies on a scale of one to 10? No one really seems right even before last night's flop. Yeah, I I think Hembo had it right. It's time to panic. Completely. Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one writes in, hey, Buster, if Dusty makes the Hall of Fame, which I think he deserves to, whose hat will he wear? Hmm. Ah, boy. Um, you know, I, I my, my instinct was out of respect for Henry Aaron, that maybe Dusty would want to wear a Braves cap an Atlanta cap from the time they played together. But he's he's uh, you know, I think for baseball fans, they generally remember his time as a player with the Dodgers. But, you know, he was with the Giants, you know, made it the World Series with them. Recent years with the Astros. Maybe he's one of those guys, Taylor, who just doesn't have a cap. What do you right. think? Yeah. I, and, but, uh, you know, this is what I was thinking. If for if he won a World Series with the Astros, I think that would be it. Yeah. Yeah, he did win a World Series. And I say this as a, someone who grew up as a Dodger fan. Right. Rooting for that 1981 as, yeah. team. He won a World Series as a player with the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Dodgers, anyway. Probably. Uh, let's go to Debbie Gammons Brown. DGB writes in, okay, Buster and Todd, which city's ballpark is the greatest improvement over the old one? San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, or Seattle? Todd chimed in on Twitter and said all of the above. Which, which Well, Todd's mean? a nice guy. He, and I'm not <laughs> as nice as he is. So I'm, I'm going to pick, I think, San Francisco. I mean, I talked about Candlestick was right. the worst that I've been in. So AT, what's <laughs> used to be known as AT&T, the Giants Park now. Uh, is spectacular, obviously. I do think Seattle's improvement was underrated to go from uh, the Superdome or whatever the heck they call it. What did they call that? Was mm. it the Superdome? Seattle me. Superdome? Yeah, I don't uh, know. And I love their park now. Uh, I, I I think their park now is spectacular. Blade Bigler at Blade Bigler is up next. This person writes in, I really think Kershaw will get to 3,000. Kingdom. Kingdom. That's what ah, it was called. There you go. Right for King County. Yeah. Yep. Okay, sorry. Blade is writing in, I think Kershaw will get to 3,000 strikeouts, but I also think that feat will never be done again. What do you guys think? Yeah, Blade, I completely agree with you because of what we're seeing, right? As starting pitchers getting yanked consistently after 80 pitches, uh, you're not going to have a lot of counting stats with that sort of dynamic in place, which is another reason why we need some sort of regulation in how relievers are used. Chief Beef at Carl Havoc. I was watching the Red Sox game the other night and the virtual strike zone was off. It made the game much more interesting to watch where you could slowly imagine the umpire strike zone as the game developed. What do you think about that? Mm, no, uh, someone in, in uh, MLB actually said, hey, how about you guys turn off the K zone? No, it's a part of it. I want to know what kind of job the umpire's doing. Uh, let's let's skirt some accountability there. No, that's not a good idea. Last one for the week. Nicholas Schwartz at N Schwartz underscore CO writes in Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer are both first ballot Hall of Famers. But who will history remember as the better of the two? Yeah, Nicholas, the sound you hear is of me running away from that question. Ooh. <laughs> two of the most competitive people I've ever known. They they have a competitive dynamic between them. 
Uh, I'm just going to wait for the final numbers to settle and <laughs> before I weigh in on that. Oh, my goodness. I, I would love to set up that conversation with the two of them, put cameras on both of them and ask them which one of you guys is better because they're both so competitive. <laughs> it might come to blows. It might, it might get a little physical at, at the end of that conversation. No, I wouldn't do that. But uh, I mean, Justin Verlander, you know, Max Scherzer, they're both great because they both have tremendous competitive arrogance. You know, I, I love that about both of those guys. Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching the games. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have a friend who loves baseball, suggest this podcast to them. And don't forget, everyone, Monday's the core of the podcast. You can watch that on YouTube. That'll be out in the evening, and we'll remind you again on Monday. So thanks for everything this week, everyone. You know, the next time we have Tim on, uh, we're going to have to ask him that question and really put him on the spot. Ooh, Sarah, you're a really nice person. How about we put you on the spot with that question? Who's going to have the anointed as having the better career, Verlander or Max Scherzer? Um, well, do you hear that? That was the sound of the bus hitting me that you just threw me under. Uh, <laughs> I am absolutely avoiding that question like you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Tim, Jess, Hambo, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.